0: Hey guys, real quick before we get started, we are doing a free giveaway for listeners between now and May 31st. Cash prizes, free swag, yacht meetup tickets, San Diego Padre tickets, and more. All you got to do to qualify is go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star review. Send a screenshot to giveaway at summerscapital.com and we'll be selecting lucky winners May 31st. As always, I appreciate the support. Now let's jump into the show.
1: So you got to be extra sharp, you got to ask questions, you got to know what you're doing and you can't give up because you're going to make mistakes, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and, and it's good mistakes as long as you can afford them mm. so the best advice is for the guys that are at home and they're just not sure about how to get started or they're not sure what to do with themselves be sharp, be stronger than the actual process because you're going to fall a lot of times if you give up, this is not for you
0: Welcome to The Rich Summers Report, where we talk real estate, business, and wealth building, all while keeping it real. No fluff, no BS. I hope that you enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of The Report. Today, we are out here in Queens, New York, on a Sunday, dropping a podcast. Actually, it was out here uh, just kind of checking out the area. First time in New York since I was a kid. It's beautiful out here, and I got a special guest who is actually local to New York, developing multifamily projects. I got Rich Zav. Richie Zav, welcome to the show, brother.
1: Thank you very much. First of all, thank you for having me on a Sunday. My man. hustling out here. I love it.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, I think this is the first time I've ever recorded on a Sunday, but uh, kind of spur of the moment. And uh, it was Terry Harris, actually, that uh, connected us. Terry was on the podcast a little while back. His brother, Tobias, plays for the Philadelphia 76ers. And I put something on my story on Friday. I was like, hey, anyone in New York want to drop a podcast, let me know. And uh, he connected us. So Terry. thank you.
1: I love Terry. Terry and Tobias are good friends of mine. They're good people, by the way. For everybody that's yeah. watching
0: should know that. <laughs> Dude, I love them, man. What? Uh, how do you know them?
1: Well, Terry and I connected back months ago when he had some questions on the development side. Right away, we hit it off, man. Super genuine, super cool guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he threw some advice my way. I threw some advice his way. And then... Uh, When he came in, he flew in, I met his pops, we were talking about some investments, then his brother came in, we spent the whole evening together, and I, you know, just hit it off with him immediately. So we actually grew a professional relationship and a business relationship, we were working on some deals together now, and uh, things are
0: taking off. Dude, I love that, man. So uh, tell me what you do today in the real estate space. I, I, I see you, you're developing a lot of multifamily stuff, different projects out here. Uh, your Instagram's got you doing a lot of really cool content. You got, uh, you know, you're, you're boots on the ground, really. So tell me what you're doing in the space.
1: What I'm doing actually is a specific niche that most people don't do and cannot do. I'm a real estate developer. So I'm not only doing the acquisition side. I My job is to facilitate all the plans, designing it, Uh, coordinating it, engineering it, obtaining and receiving the construction loan, Mm -hmm. um, and then seeing through physical construction, compliance, and whether it's a rental play, we're renting it, or if it's a condo play, we're selling it. So it's a whole A to Z
0: spectrum. Okay, so you guys are doing multifamily and you're doing condos.
1: Yes, we do multifamily rentals and we do condos. And uh, whenever we can, we do things through the uh, programs. So if rental play has a 421A tax abatement, I'll be doing that as well.
0: And so uh, are you guys typically doing higher-end finishes uh, or are you guys typically doing more workforce stuff?
1: Depending on, like, the part of the neighborhood, we'll do uh, super high-end finishes. So some mm-hmm. of my rentals are nicer than some condos being built right now in Brooklyn. So I, I like to go all out. I don't see it as I saved $50,000. i have invested that 50000 because mm-hmm. I know when somebody comes to our property to acquire it, eventually you want to sell a 1031 exchange they know how difficult it is to achieve and obtain those finishes they'll appreciate it therefore the negotiation goes more in my favor than it is in their favor
0: got it that makes a lot of sense and so how do you determine hey we're going to we're going to build out multifamily and we're going to rent these out versus we're going to build condos to to sell
1: all right so the, that's a that's a pretty much a easy question i like that question uh, formula-based, everything goes by a price per square foot, and then if the cap is high enough where you're making more money percentage-wise than where you can anywhere else, that's a rental hold and play. Uh, another perk to that is if you know you're getting a tax abatement program and you can hold it for 25, 35 years with a sunrise and you can depreciate it off your taxes, it just all depends on what, what qualifies and entails for you, then it's a rental play. But a, big, a beginning part of my career was trying to stack cash on cash. So I did a lot of condos. And that's a great way to double sometimes triple your money on the investment, so if there's a high enough return in a in a very nice neighborhood i'll go the condo route sometimes you can your cost could be six hundred dollars a foot, and you could sell out fifteen hundred dollars a foot ten thousand square feet, and you're looking at a big bang you know so just uh play by play and if you're able to sustain it, I would say that we like to do rentals
0: got it. And so are you typically buying properties like existing buildings and then tearing them down or are you purchasing just the land?
1: So I actually had a, um, so like my my most recent condo was a mm. textile manufacturing slit and a multifamily residential with commercial. So it was a 25 footer and a 50 footer. What we did was I bought the lots. I did a reappropriation of the lots, So it wasn't a merger. It was a subdivision. So now I made them 25, 25 and 25 and I demolished all of it. Mm. And the purpose of that was, first of all, it's not that you know there there are certain incentives you can get on the FAR deduction bonuses where if you build a new building versus working on the existing footprint, uh, including the basement, cellar, and the maximum height of the building. So we value add and engineer every single part of the process, and if we can see that by destroying or doing the demolition
0: can add more value, we go that route. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and so, you know, out here in New York, there's a lot of bureaucracy and red tape similar to California where I live. Um, so I'm curious in terms of like the permitting process um, and all the different studies you got to get through in order to be shovel ready and actually start the build out uh, can be extensive. Uh, what is that process like out here in New York?
1: Oh, man, it's, it, it, there's a lot of first of all, I know that there's a lot of bureaucracy and red tape in, in every uh, country, uh, state. Mm-hmm. I know that L.A. got plenty of bureaucracy talking to you before this and talking to Terry, knowing that it's, it could take years sometimes. We do have a lot of red tape. And the process, and I'm going to get in detail, it, it it starts from, let's say, getting a survey, getting an architect's uh, report, understanding the geotech report, the type of soil. You, you definitely need HPD to approve you. You need DOB to approve you. It could take between four and six months. Whether it's DOB Hub or DOB Now, you got to submit the plans. You'll have a plan examiner go into a room with you and they'll give comments and you'll have to resolve those comments. And that's on three sets of plans, architectural, structural, and then mechanical electrical plumbing. Uh, energy code is constantly being updated. So if you put in a plan, your architect is always the first to start. So if you put in a plan in three months ago and your MEP only started after he got the plans from the architect, Energy go, got, Energy go got updated, let's say, two weeks ago. That's affecting your plans, mm. and therefore you need to go and re-update them. And every time you re-update them, you have PAA fees and you have filing fees, and you got to pay them, bro. That's really the bureaucracy. A lot of people don't understand that until you don't pay those DOB filing fees, you won't get approved. And some people, it'll say pay now or pay at the end when you're approved. That's how they determine if you're a serious developer or not because most guys will be like, oh, you know, I just, I'll leverage the money. Nah, man, it's $3,000, bro. Pay the three Gs. The faster you pay, the faster the plan examiner will get in the room and approve you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, we got a lot of red tape. <laughs> so typically on average, like what what is the the turnaround time to get permits so you can be shovel ready? So it, it would take about the average developer,
1: right? I don't know how uh, serious the person's team is, how quickly they can turn around comments. But if you're on the money and you know what you're doing, it could take anywhere between three and six months. I've I've seen pl- bad at all. But I've seen plans. That, like I have a... a a site that I'm doing right now and I'm at the eighth month and I'm on top of my stuff and it's all the same engineers and it's all the same plan examiners you know you'd be surprised how um, I don't want to say small the city's not that you know plan, there's, there's a handful of plan examiners so once you file enough buildings you're basically dealing with the same set of guys I had a scenario where a plan examiner retired on me mm-hmm. and when he retired you know who walked in some young kid that just graduated college this is his first time reviewing plans and bro it's sucking and draining the <laughs> life out
0: of me Dude, I can imagine. What, what's the longest uh, time frame you've ever heard of out here in terms of getting permits?
1: I mean, listen, if you, I know people that uh, like try to fight the code mm-hmm. and try to be anal with DOB, bro. They're worse than the mafia, bro. Mm-hmm. They got all the controls. So I've seen somebody hold out for over three years, and, and it's a problem. Uh, the quickest turnaround time is about three months if, wow. you, if you know what you're doing.
0: Yeah, that's a lot quicker than, than I expected. Out in San Diego, um, you know, L.A., some of these areas in California I've heard of three plus years.
1: So let me ask something. Is that does that mean that people are buying properties in contract contingent on approval plans? So like they'll hold out three years and then when the plans get approved, no. they'll close?
0: No. They'll they'll buy they'll buy the land or they'll buy the property and then they will go through the entire permitting process. A lot of other developers, they might if it's a teardown, they might keep the existing building up. And they might operate it at some component to bring in some cash yeah. until they get the permits. And then one of the extra strategies is actually when they get the permits ready to go, they might position it to sell to another buyer with the permits in hand because it's kind of a value add. You save the time. And so, exactly. And so they might be able to get, make a nice spread without having to do all the work, right? right? right. Um, That's and good then play. if they don't get a number they're looking for, then they'll just do the build out and, and, and capture that themselves. But yeah, I mean, three three plus years is is the norm out there. Um, we do have an ADU play on California, so um, there is a shortage of affordable housing in all markets in California, a lot of the, the, the coastal markets at least. And so you, basically they have a fast track to where you could pick up a property as long as you have the available square footage. You could convert a garage or you can build multiple units in your backyard. Um, and there is a fast track permitting process there, but the fast track is like they say it's six months. Um, I just went through it. It took me about two years to get them approved, and this is just for a garage conversion on one of my properties in San Diego. It's crazy. That sounds bad. I mean, yeah.
1: we we also have a similar program like that mm-hmm. under the 421A, where it provides okay. affordable housing, and it's called. Uh, there's under the affordable housing 421A. I think it's dash sixteen or dash fifteen. One okay. of those provisions. Uh, there are two. There are two avenues. There's the affordability that goes under seventy thirty. And then there's the affordability, which we go under HPS, which is Homeless Placement Services. Okay. So, they'll take people that are in shelters and distribute them into, put them into uh, uh, HPS building. They will pay, the city will direct deposit you the money for the water and the utilities. Plus, they'll pay you a 20% premium of the actual rent price. Wow. And the developer knows that he's going into this program. So, when he's developing it, he's not putting the most high-end finishes. If everybody's building at 250 a foot, he's locking it in at $200 a foot. Mm. So you know the cap rates are there, are like 10, 11%. And we have that also.
0: I love that. Yeah. Um, what are the multifamily cap rates out here in, in New York, generally speaking? I know it's gonna vary based on neighborhood um, and, and class of building, but generally speaking, what kind of cap rates are you seeing you got, today?
1: You got, you got stuff at five, which is not trading right now due to the debt. Um, interest rates and then you got stuff that are, should be at eight and nine right now to the market. I'm building them closer to eight and nine. Wow. Uh, don't forget that I bought these lands, these lots in like 2019. So we, we had the glory of the 2019-2020 pandemic mm-hmm. appreciation run and now the in, the reverse interest rate and not a lot of inventory on the market and we're even though the market is struggling, we're still appreciating mm-hmm. and people are not getting that and it's only working to our advantage.
0: The cap rates that you're alluding to are very high. You yeah. said 5%. They're not trading, uh, but the stuff you're building out to, you're in your Performa, you're penciling, you're anticipating an 8% exit? Yeah. Wow, and the numbers work at those numbers.
1: Yeah, I mean, every time they raise the rate, it's, it's impacting my uh, net, yeah, net debt service coverage ratio mm-hmm. or also known as cap rate. But, um, I mean, listen, we, we the good developers and the good real estate um, owners, uh, the syndicators, the, the managers, portfolio uh, principals, Mm-hmm. will factor in some sort of worst-case scenario. So when I was underwriting these projects, bro, I was going crazy. Like, if if the rent would qualify for 3000 a month, I'd be, all right, 2500 a month, right? And I was like, you know, it maybe, and probably did kill a lot of my deals because when I was presenting it to investors, they were like, oh, I'm not going to, like, nah, it's worst-case scenario. I can't have that. Where a lot of the other developers were doing best-case scenarios, and they're probably in the shits right now.
0: So that's a problem also. Yeah. Um, that was my next question for you. Like, how is this this rate environment affecting you with the development and and just the the product out here in, in New York in general?
1: All right. Anybody that tells you that the rate environment is not affecting them, they're full of shit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'll, t- and I'll tell you specifically why. If you're building into condos, you're also. It's not that your price per square foot is affected, and if your floating rate is floating. The bank already has a certain underwriting where they calculated enough interest reserve for you to get out, even in a worst-case scenario. If you're projecting 10 months, they'll give you 16 months. If you're projecting 16 months, they'll give you two years. So they have a, a phenomenal buffer. It's not that that's affecting. What's affecting is that there's less buyers in the market. Therefore, your exit will take longer and longer, and your profit will be depleting. If you're supposed to make 30%, you'll now make 25%. If you're making 25%, you make 20. Mm-hmm. And something else goes wrong, your 20 goes to 15 and now you're in trouble. Nobody wants to invest 10 million dollars to make one and a half million over the course of three years. 500,000, you might as well just put your money in, uh, in a primary business or go to the bank, and uh, mm-hmm. what is the FDIC protected? Uh, on you, the
0: rent, you have five and a half percent right now in a CD.
1: Yeah, five and a half, and and if you, by the way, if you negotiate with the bank and say I'll come with depository relationship, blah blah blah, they give you six.
0: Mm. I've done it. Yeah, um, and, and that's what's it's sucking money out of the economy right now.
1: Right, and people are telling me, Richie, I want to buy this building, and what do you think about it? I'm like, bro, you don't even have to talk to anybody. You could just go to the bank, get five and a half, six percent. You don't have to do a single transaction. Invest, go buy Home Depot. this, that. You don't need to do nothing. You put in money, show up in twelve months, collect the fat True. check.
0: But that same investor that's looking for the five and a half six percent in a CD. That's not your investor. That's 100%. not my investor either. Right. Our investors are the ones that want, you know, high, you know, teen digit or double digit returns with upside and tax benefits, right? right. So if you're looking for five and a half, six 6% risk-free in a CD with no upside, um, that's not the same appetite as our investors. I,
1: I was speaking to an investor and he was telling me, I was like, listen, man, I got to get you in one of my new developments and so on. So he, him and I are good friends. And he said to me, Rich, you don't understand my play. He goes, I'm bringing in close to $20 million a year. I need something that's depreciatable. I need to buy something more than what I'm making so that I can depreciate the shit out of it. He goes, I would love love to get into new development with you. But as you know, land and upcoming properties are not depreciatable. Existing multifamilies, you can depreciate them on the residential side, I think, 27 and a half years uh, here in the state of New York. So, you know, it's a huge tax benefit. And then you could do something called hyper depreciation over the course of five years, which is Crazy, but then you'll have a. If you do it fast enough, you'll have a big tax
0: uh, capital gain. Accelerated depreciation.
1: Yeah, accelerated. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Um. So, anyways, we we digress a little bit, but you know, with this build out and the interest rate environment right now, I mean, obviously, you guys are borrowing money and it's more expensive. And then also, when you can go get five and a half percent in a CD right now. It's harder to raise capital, right? So it's sucking money out of the the economy. And then when you guys are doing these buildouts and you're looking to exit, especially with the condos, uh, there's less buyers in in the marketplace. Yeah. Are you guys being affected in terms of the rents? What are you guys seeing out here at the rents? If you love real estate investing, passive income, and tax benefits, but don't have the time, my company Summers Capital is buying boutique hotels right now. We source the deals, we renovate the properties, and we even handle all the day to day management, making it truly hands off for our investors. If you want want to learn more to see if we can help you visit summerscapital.com slash invest to book a call with our team again at summerscapital.com slash invest. Now back to the show.
1: So I have a rental building that I just completed. I okay. just got my TCO. Thank you. Uh, it's a big accomplishment for me. Um, and I'll tell you why that's important because from the time that you go to a bank and get to an appraisal and da da da, da they're trying to underwrite the deal. They're raising the rate, they're raising the rate, they're raising the rate. Two things are happening. Your debt service coverage ratio is co- technically coming down because your interest is now more, mm. your mortgage on the property. However, what people are not seeing is if nobody's borrowing, everyone's renting. Now, the rental market is on fire, especially in the markets that I'm building in the Brooklyn, are a bliss. Things that I underwrote, worst case scenario, at 2400 But I just rented out the other day a $4,000 one bedroom. Wow. I'm not talking about downtown Brooklyn. I'm talking about like Ocean Hill. If, mm-hmm. if, you, if people know about the market, it's, it's near Bushwick, it's a great neighborhood, but it's not a $4,000 a month apartment product. And I'm only getting that because that guy can't rent anything. Everybody in the and their mother are renting right now, and it's, it's, it's causing this uh, frenzy of renters, and people don't want to invest it, where they're telling themselves, I could have bought something at 5%. They can't convince themselves because now we're closer to 8%. They're like, oh, I'd rather just wait.
0: That same apartment that uh, you rented for $4,000, one bedroom, what would that sell for if it was a condo? It
1: probably
0: would sell for 650000 Wow. So it almost makes more sense to, to purchase. It almost now, does, with yeah. With the high rates, you know, obviously the rates are high, but- it's not forever. I think the rates are temporary and you could refi a little bit later when the rates for, you know, three, that's six You're looking at about a three thirty three hundred dollar mortgage. Less, probably less. And that's with HOA, PIP, everybody yeah. included.
1: That's yeah. every that's common charges and real estate taxes and let's say maintenance, like mm-hmm. things that you don't foresee. That's included.
0: Yeah. But with new bills, it's like, you know, what's the maintenance really going to be? So that's interesting. So you guys have a lot of competition for rents right now, or renting right now. The pricing for condos, would you say, is softening right now? The pricing for condos in
1: certain areas have stalled while inflation is still rising. Mm. That is how the right way that I would like to answer. I don't want to just say that you do see price corrections, but in some buildings, like we have something, a product in Queens, where it wasn't selling so well during COVID. And it's selling now higher price per square foot, which makes no sense, except for that there's nothing available and people have to pony up if they want it.
0: That's crazy, man. Um, and so you, you're doing some build outs right now, right? Um, is your exit strategy typically to do the full lease up and then refi in a perm debt? Or are you guys looking to potentially exit before you refi?
1: So, so New York has a very like weird banking system, right? And a lot of banks just now in the higher interest rate em- uh, environment want leases in place and CO. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem, and, and they want to see the tax abatement certificate. Before what? before they can give you the money to refi out of your construction loan. Got it. So now there's three problems with what I'm telling you. The TCO and CO are always contingent on uh, sign-offs. And one thing can be holding up another. You can have, for example, all the tenants in place in cash flow, and you can have the 421-8 tax abatement certificate, and not the CO, and the bank won't refi. That's problem number one. Problem number two is you cannot have all the leases signed because it could be in progress but be ready to close because you have your other two requirements. Which is not a big problem. And problem number three, the four twenty-one A certificate only comes four months after you get your CO. Mm. So let's say you rented it, you got cash flow, and you got your CO. You go to a bank and say, Okay, I got the two requirements, they'll say, We're not ready to close because you don't have your certificate of tax abatement in play. And we're gonna have to either give you less money or hold back proceeds from the closing. So we'll give you five million dollars, we're gonna hold five hundred thousand until you present us a certificate. So the problem is now is uh, all of our rental plays were refinancing and we start them very early and we are working with banks that actually understand the process So the tomorrow. They're like, we don't know what this 421 is. You may not get it. Like a bank that refinanced somebody else, they understand.
0: Question for you though. So when you get your CEO, then you start your lease up phase, right? And a lot of these properties, you're not going to lease up overnight. So you said the 421 tax abatement that typically takes about three months? Four months from the seal. Four months. And, and don't, aren't you aren't you busy leasing up these buildings within those four months anyways before you can actually refi?
1: Yeah. So one thing I will tell you is I'm leasing this building up in less than 30
0: days. Wow. How many so units are we talking? We're
1: talking about 10 units. Okay. Um, Got it. It's happening very quickly. That is because I built the right product, number one. That is because I priced it correctly, number two. And number three, I offer them concessions. Okay. So where there's a broker fee on every single apartment, I'm doing no fee. Where they're they're not giving you any weeks or whatever free. I'm giving them a full month if they're taking a two-year lease, two months free at the end, contingent they pay every single month on time. So their net effective rent is let's from 3,500 it goes down to 2,800. And so I'm offering these incentives because, and I'll tell you why. I don't want to pay an extra month of interest mm-hmm. on a full building at 10% where my construction load is floating and they raise the rate another mm-hmm. point and I'll be paying 11 points on five million dollars that's fifty thousand. I'd rather have a scenario where I'm collecting the cash flow and I'm profiting. And even though it's a slight profit, I'm able to go to the bank and say, yo, I'm profiting. Get some cheaper debt. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, So when you do that, though, uh, with the concessions, I know in California there's rent control in a lot of markets. You guys have rent control out here. Does that affect your ability to raise rents in year two?
1: Yes. Number one, first of all, you have to be extremely careful when you do concessions because you don't want them to tie into the rent stabilization rules. If you're renting out your apartments for mm. less than, and I, I don't know if somebody online can check this, I believe it's $2960, okay. $2,960, that unit automatically becomes rent stabilized. So as long as your concessions don't fall below on the net effective side, below, let's say, on oh, the gross effect of $2960, then that unit is not rent stabilized. So you can give somebody a concession, and if the number is 2960 or twenty nine seven, I don't remember, I just remember it's like on the cusp of 3000 if you're at $3,000, for example, you're not rent stabilized. Mm. And therefore, it'll be easier for you on year two, year three, year four. Once you do one apartment that's stabilized, it's stabilized. Gotcha. And you can't get out of that. So that is why I'm offering heavy concessions. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to have a situation where I'm renting for $2,500 and I'm stabilized. The building value drops significantly.
0: Yeah. No, that's interesting. Uh, I'm renting. ai just moved into a new build. I rent where I live. Um, I just moved into a new construction. It's like a 400 unit property. It's going to take them 12 months to lease it up. Um, But I was like literally the first person to move in. And so with my particular unit, I got in for like a good price. And that same unit right now is going for like 40% more than what I locked in for 18 months. Wow. So I'm curious. like I'm like wondering how much they're going to bump me You got and how that. much can they bump me. You you know, sub sublease that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to move out, man. I love, I love it there. Um, So tell me about the 421 tax abatement. How does it work and what exactly is it? All
1: right. So there's, and this is what I love about my job, bro. I so love that you gave me that question. First of all, as a real estate developer, you're not always on the field in construction. There's a lot of back-end work, like you said, you mentioned before. A lot of the, the hard challenges are back at the office and strategizing. Mm. And the 421A was probably the biggest strategy because now officially it's expired. In June 15th of 2022, they said that if you're not able to pull permits and have special inspections, your technical reports about your concrete foundation being put in place, you don't qualify in the tax payment no longer. Now, you can imagine in that summer of 2022, and before June, everybody and their mother was laying down foundations mm. in Brooklyn. You would I was calling my concrete guys that I've worked with for years. And I'm like, hey, what's up, my friend? What's up, what are we doing? And he's like, yo, I'm busy for months. I'm like, yo, yeah, yo, yeah. I'm your best customer. You're coming to me. You're doing my stuff first. You're doing everybody else's stuff. Now now that the 421-8s have expired, which is a huge tax benefit, I'll get into in a minute, all those properties that people, they just poured foundations. They're not developers. They're holding. And those properties have appreciated like 20-30% because those tax payments are no longer in play. Number one. Number two, to be specific, the 421A rental has two programs. One I mentioned is HPS where homeless protective services or uh, placement services. They'll place the homeless uh, individual from a shelter into your apartment that you built out for them. It's about 20% above the market rent. I've seen the stats. And they pay you for utilities. And I'm talking about, I think it's like $200 for rent and uh, for water and heat. So it's a significant amount.
0: He'll make money just on that. And what was it about the homeless? You they're, have to you have to rent it to a homeless? Well, they, it's a workbook. They will place. That's why it's called... They place the It's the homeless the placement service.
1: Yeah, they give you the tenant. You
0: just got to it. And then they them. guarantee the rent, too. They,
1: they're direct depositing it to you. Wow. Yeah, it's like you don't have to do anything. Uh, there's obviously some other qualifications. The the individual that lives there has to do the paperwork every year and it's a, a lengthy process. So in year, it, unless they're uh, quick, it takes them about two months to get all their paperwork together. But as you understand-
0: so Who's who's paying for this? The, the taxpayers are paying for this? Yeah, absolutely. Because you're getting the tax abatement as the property owner. Yeah, so well, you're not paying property taxes for what, 10 years?
1: No, it's a 25-year- 25, year pro- 25 years. Let me correct myself. It's a 35-year tax abatement and, and 25 years is locked and the last 10 is a sunrise. What does that mean? So- in year 25, they'll slowly give you the reassessed, 26, 27, 28, 29, all the way to the 35th year to where the market should be for the taxes on the tax rate. Mm. So you still have a tax concession in year 26 till year 34, but by year 35, you're paying the taxes that a normal person would have built through. But now there's two parts of the tax abatement, and all my tax consultants are going to love me for this. There is a scenario where, you do the 421A and they reassess the taxes to a, a smaller amount, where it could be, let's say, the land you bought was thousand dollars a year, it becomes ten thousand. And then it locks at ten. So you're still ahead. And then there's something called a tax freeze. So on my building that I just finished on Atlantic Avenue, my taxes annually on this ten unit building over fifteen thousand square feet, eighty five feet tall, will be at eight hundred ninety seven dollars annually.
0: Wow. For 25 years? For 25 years. Wow, that's great. Now, what happens when you sell that to the next buyer? It's locked. It's, it's locked in. It's locked so in. So no, no matter how many buyers, they're going to be under yeah, the same tax rate. It's payment.
1: protected, yeah.
0: Wow. And I can imagine, I mean, that makes but, your building so much more valuable. 100%. Yeah,
1: yeah, I crushed yeah. it. Um, But the, the, the exchange you make with the city is that you're providing 30% affordability, which they give you ahead of time per borough, per zip code, per AMI requirement. I think it's 130% AMI average, medium income, they provide you a rubric on what your maximum rent can be charged. Now, in certain neighborhoods, your maximum rent that you can charge is more than what you'll actually get. Mm. You understand? So you're still protected under that. So for example, they say, Rich, you can charge $3,500 for a one-bedroom. You won't get $3,500 on all your one-bedrooms in all locations of Brooklyn. And if you lock them in at $2,800, you're still considered affordability, but your $2,800... Is still better than paying eight hundred dollars on that
0: unit rent stabilized, and
1: you're paying forty thousand dollars in taxes.
0: Right now, does that number adjust over time? So
1: you there is a rent rule, uh, rent law. I believe one and one or two percent year over year. So you're pretty much stabilized on that apartment. Okay, Th- those apartments get stabilized. But what I'm, the the reason why I said that there's a rubric is the rent is so high. To begin with, that if you stabilize it, in 10 years from now, you'll end up where the market is anyways. Mm-hmm. So you're not you're not being charged $800. Now, this may suck for the owner in 35 years, but the developer that built through it, he's going to enjoy the shit out of it for the next 25 years. And the cap rate will go from 8, 9, 12, 14, and it'll just jump exponentially.
0: Yeah. It's cool to see that that New York is, you know, putting all these incentives out there to, uh, you know, incentivize developers to build um, and provide more housing, uh, apartment units to rent, but also uh, homes and condos to to purchase. Um, I just saw an article uh, recently. Goldman Sachs put out an article saying that uh, new home builds for next year are like the lowest it's been since the 1990s. Wow. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, rising rents in America and we got an affordability crisis. um, And the only way to fix that is to build more, right? And if you look at the demand side, um, you know, the baby boomers are living a lot longer. They're not moving into retirement homes as early as they used to. Uh, The millennials are, you know, buying homes and starting families for the first times. And then you get the Gen Z, which is also a very big group, they're moving out of their parents' house for the first time and looking for apartment units to rent. And so on the demand side, it's never been this strong. Yeah. Um, and then we're already, we have a massive shortage of housing across America. I read an article. It's like f- about five and a half to six million housing units short of where we should be to meet the demand. Excellent. Um, and so, you know, when I hear this in New York that you guys are you know incentivizing or the, the government uh, locally here is incentivizing builders to build, I think that's a good thing. Um, I know in California, there's a ton of bear's to entry. I just mentioned one of them earlier. Like three, three and a half years to get permits. Like a lot of people don't want to touch that. Yeah, you know, especially with the high rate environment. There's just it imposes a lot of risk and a lot of things that could go wrong. This is, this is
1: healthy, man. I love it. Mm. I love, I love the market that we're in. It has definitely created more challenges. We got rid of a lot of the non-players. You know, during COVID, everybody was like, oh, I'm a developer. Mm. No, I'm a, I'm a multifamily owner. And, and it was like, bro, we just want to, like those that are serious, we just want to play the game. This interest rate environment has definitely flushed out all the non-real players. And it's definitely, listen, I know everybody's going to be watching this. Like, how could he say it's a good thing? It's a good thing that there's a shortage. This is good. It's healthy for the economy, for people to invest money into land, for construction to happen. It provides jobs. It provides stability. It provides foresight, Mm -hmm. a forecast of how many apartments will be in Q4 of 2025. And we need, let's say, 5 million housings in all across America. If we can get at least 2.5 million of that, that's 50% absorption rate. We're already closer to our goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. What is the biggest challenge right now for for you on the development side? Hey guys, real quick, the only way this show grows, the only way we continue to bring on bigger and better guests, is if you guys rate, review, and share the show. So if you could take two seconds or the click of the thumb to review on Apple or Spotify, it will mean the world to me. But more importantly, we'll be able to reach more entrepreneurs and more real estate investors and help them build wealth through this podcast. Now back to the show.
1: Biggest challenge for me personally is. Uh, just staying to course, you know, we're, we're scaling so quickly and it's difficult to kind of have everybody have a piece. And where I once started, uh, where $500,000 was like a lot of money for me on the investment side, mm. I probably will turn down a guy that comes to me with two, two and a half million today. And that's become the difficult part because I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. And the process is fun. It's It has its challenges. But uh, how can you scale? How much, how much can you build? And uh, you know, I know some of the largest developers in in the business right now here in New York, and they're 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 struggling with five thousand units, and that's a lot of units, man. We're not talking about like Missouri or South Carolina or or Wisconsin where you can buy uh, a complex for a million dollars. You know, the lot here alone, some of the lots trade for forty fifty million. Mm-hmm. No construction, you're just buying a piece of land. The, the property taxes on those lots alone were seven eight hundred thousand dollars. Some of them one to two million, and you you got to, as a developer. Factor in interest rates, factor in taxes, carrying costs, insurance, overhead, planning, soft costs. I mean, these things pile up quick, man. You got 10 sites, you get stuck on one, just one, and that's it. It's depleting from every other site. And a lot of developers are not able to divide entities. They mm-hmm. like to co-mingle, and that's how they f- crash, basically, essentially.
0: And- so, but you're, you're saying these developers, some of them will have multiple projects... And they're commingling all the funds under one entity? 100%, bro. Wow, that's crazy. And, and that's
1: a big red flag. Under, I mean, even
0: from a liability standpoint, it doesn't make
1: sense. Yeah, but that's how, listen, people ask, like, how did this developer make so much money, and then all of a sudden he's filing bankruptcy? You ever saw those articles? Oh, developers are filing bankruptcy, or this lot, if, uh, they're, they're uh, de- defaulting on the loan. Like, you're, mm. you're worth $400 million. You're going to default on a $2 million loan? How does that make sense? Now, a lot of that is fake it till you make it, right? You got to be able to differentiate and, and spot out. So what I love about New York is everything is public record. Because mm. you go on Accurice and see who's signing on the mortgage docs. I'll give you a couple of addresses. You'll see my beautiful, sexy signature, Richie Zaff. <laughs> and you'll see that's my signature, man. People that went to school will know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the loans and closing on the land. And that's how you know if you can authenticate an individual versus somebody that's like telling you, yeah, I got a $100 million in property in the duck They don't know a thing or two about the process Mm -hmm. or they don't know a thing about the actual development game. This is a big problem. And my hardest part about the real estate development challenge for me personally is just dealing with the scalability. We got a lot of people coming in. I'm sure you're feeling it on your end. Social media has blown up. People are not really touching real estate or pretending like they are. And now the investors still want to get, they still want a piece. Mm -hmm. How many people are you calling? It was four or five. Now it's 10 or 15. And just how much could you grab, you know?
0: Yeah. So, uh, regarding the investor capital, uh, you mentioned you got investors, uh, writing large checks, but when you started, maybe not the case, uh, where are you sourcing most of your investor capital?
1: I mean, listen, the last couple of years have been great for me. I have, you know, people that follow me, they know I have a tremendous uh, relationship with a lot of the sports players. And once you do one deal with one, the other one hears about it. Like, listen, man, my, my money manager only made me 3%. You invest in the condo complex and you basically bring it on 10 million, you bring it back two or three, it's 20 to 30% over three years, 10% a year is a more realistic investment. Besides athletes, celebrities, we have a few rappers that we're working with. We also have a tremendous amount of doctors, lawyers, accountants, and business owners. And that's always been the sweet spot. Uh, those guys sometimes have 500,000, million, 2 million, 5 million. A lot of them are family offices, right? These guys are. You man- work with
0: a lot of family offices.
1: We have about three clients, mm-hmm. and some of them have been manufacturing steel for say twenty years. Mm. And this is not a; they made five hundred thousand last year. This is an accumulation of twenty years. They were able to put four or five million dollars away every single year. They're sitting on fifty, sixty million. And they're making a contribution of ten million dollars, and they're buying a percentage of the lot or percentage of the property. They and, and whatever the project makes, they're making X percent. Mm-hmm. And what I'm offering, and in some instances, is I don't bring them in on a construction loan. So nine out of 10 times, I'm, I'm borrowing more money than they're actually investing. If they're investing 10 million and I'm borrowing out 25, who has the real liability?
0: So say that again at the end, you, you said with these offices, they're coming in on the debt side as well as the equity? hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Some of them want more. Some of them. So, so they'll, they'll come to my office and be like, all right, man, the project's like 50 million mm. total cap stack. What's my buy-in, right? And if you do the simple math of 20, 25 or 50% of 25 million, whatever valuation, you're like, it's not enough for me. How can I get more? Well, as a developer, you need to understand that there's a certain amount of risk you need to diversify. So not always do I want to have 100% of the risk, number one. Number two, if they're coming in on the construction loan side, we're all PGing it, it also diversifies on the debt sheet. Mm-hmm. So if they invested cap, cash on cash out of the $50 million, $25 million they invested in cash, and $12.5 million on the construction loan side. All for, for example, 60% or 70% because they wanted a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm finally at a... F- point in my career where I won't sell that much equity. Mm. The maximum I'll give off is uh, uh, 49%.
0: Now with that kind of equity with like an office and then I've yet to to work with an office. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with, with offices, but I have yet to do it. Um, Do they typically want a lot of control with voting rights in terms of like when to sell, when to refi and that sort of thing?
1: Yo, you got to be super careful when you're reading these things, man. They got, you know, you really have to have a money man with you that understands accounting and advice. You know, you, I always tell everybody, you need a good accountant and a good lawyer. They have advisory shares. Forget about actual shares, common shares. They're talking about advisory shares. And if you're not reading the fine print, you can own majority of the company and they can still control what's going on. Mm. So, yeah, family offices want to control. There's a reason why these families are up on 50, 60, 100 million dollars. Uh, billion, two billion, right, in certain places. And there's a reason why they're, they're you know, they're nine out of ten times the right and yeah, they do want control. But in my game, I'm not giving it to them. And I tell them, if you want, go try it. Yeah. Go buy the land. Go, bro. Take your head and knock it against the cinder block wall, bro. Get, get, feel free. And by the way, I've had people reach out to me, big players. Hey, we want you on the site, blah, blah, blah. We're about to sign a contract. Deal falls apart. They go do their thing, and two years later, they call me back. We're buying another site, and we want to work with you. And I mm-hmm. say, And it's so much easier for me to have that conversation because I tell them, Guys, we sat at the table before, you did it on your own, it didn't work out, you came right back here. Yeah. And after that, I'm happy that they didn't succeed. I'm happy that they identified that what we do, it's an actual art. What we have in our mind, the view, the vision, and the coordination of all the people, that is an art.
0: Yeah, dude, I love that. You know, because for us we're, you know, we're self operators, right? So we're fully integrated, we manage our own stuff as well, which gives us full control. And I love our investors. Our investors invest with us because they trust us, right? And so I've been hesitant and I won't work with a group that's going to come in and want control over, you know, voting rights and decision making and that sort of thing. So I don't know, I think the takeaway is, is not all money is, is good money, right? Yeah,
1: 100%. You want to like, uh, I love what you just said, man. A lot of people overlook uh, integrity and uh, reputation. And I learned it from a close, close person to me. Last year was a big lesson. Your reputation is worth what you're willing to make a dollar amount out of it. So if you're willing to sell your soul for 50,000, that's what your reputation's worth. Mm. If your reputation's worth $5 billion, that's what your reputation's worth. So if you're if somebody tries to buy you off or or sell you out or try to stray you in a way or, or have control over a deal and it's just a couple of dollars, that's what you're worth. But now on the retrospective side, if someone sees that you cannot be bought and they know you're as straight as an arrow and there's no amount of money that'll change the way you operate, all the investors, everybody sees that on the sidelines and if they don't invest with you today in a year, they'll come back to you in three years because they know that in the last 20 projects, you did right by every single person but if you get one opportunity just to get ahead, nobody will invest with you and that's what I've learned last year from a a very close person to me is that your reputation is just for life and a lot of people, they don't see that. They just see the, okay, five-year, 10-year run. You know, it goes a lot farther. You do this long enough, you know how quickly you could put together half a billion dollar fund Mm -hmm. and I've seen it happen last year and it was like, Reputation
0: is important. That's so good, man. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think you know when times are good, you know it, it's hard to kind of see behind, but the behind the curtain. But when things go south, it's like how you treat your investors, how you treat your team, how you treat those people that are around you. That goes a much further.
1: Yeah, you know? nobody wants to just see one guy winning. A hundred percent. No, if you if you have if you have a. Like a real estate development office or a real estate multifamily office I'm sure you have a lot of employees right and the culture is important and if you see that not only you know it's a, it's a good milestone you go you buy yourself a new watch, you go you buy yourself a new car if you're the only one buying a new watch or a new car, that's not right. I feel like everybody on the team is winning, and that's how you know the company's thriving mm-hmm. If it's just one guy winning that's just a fix in the game that he has temporarily until it just busts in his face
0: yeah what's the best deal you've ever done?
1: I have a couple of good deals so a couple of deals that I did were in the beginning of my career and I went to auction houses and based on uh, borough and county. Mm-hmm. And this is when I was the most naive, right? Because everybody's like, oh, Richie, are you capable of running a real estate fund? And I'm like, listen, I've never had any experience, but I'm, I'm going to underwrite it and I'll be safe and cautious and I have my estimates. And so I went to a couple of places and I bought some houses in Long Island and I doubled my money there. Mm. And I'm talking about like, you invested a million. I had Some of these properties that made a million on top of the million. And it was a short three years and we bought a bunch of shit there, man. And we did really good. Those were easy deals. And then I have some real estate development deals that I did in Brooklyn where I was able to leverage out uh, cash plus debt and we made 50% of our money due to COVID. Mm. Interest rates were like 3 or 4% and we were signing contracts, bro. Hot. And Brooklyn was booming. You know, Williamsburg became too expensive. A lot of the buyers went east of Williamsburg into Bushwick into Ocean Hill, and all these buyers that were used to paying $1,500, they saw $850 price per square foot. They're like, yo, it's half off. Mm-hmm. Same finish is half off. Okay, I'll sit on the train 10 more minutes. Apartments supposed to cost a million dollars, they're paying $750,000, for example, or $500,000. They're like, okay, I'll, I'll I'll pay $500K less. By the way, those guys that bought, they also made money now because those same apartments that are worth $500K are now worth closer to $650 or $700 in the short two years. So they made money, and that's a lot of people don't get it. Uh, in the real estate business, people make money catching the appreciation, mm. not just buying it and flipping it. You make a short run, 5%, 7% gain, you don't buy a stock to make 5% or 7%. You buy a stock or you buy real estate or you buy an asset, whatever asset class it is, you want to make that 25 or 30% run. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's two buckets, right? You're, you're forcing your appreciation, um, which is great. It gives you like the, the cushion and, and margin for error, um, but- you also have the organic appreciation. Right now, we're not seeing organic appreciation. So, you know, for us to buy a deal right now, we need to be able to force a lot of appreciation. Um, otherwise, I'm not going to do a deal. And that's exactly what you, you're you doing with the development stuff. Um, so give me an example. You mentioned you guys are doing a lot of, like, what's your average deal size?
1: We have, so right now, I'm picking up lots between 5 and $10 million. And okay. on those lots, depending on price per square foot, what we need to borrow, on the $10 million lot, the deal underwrites $10 million on the loan side. So we're looking at $5 million, on the debt 5 million on the raise 10 million 10 million on the debt 10 million on the raise so that's 20 so we're looking um, we're over 80 million million in active construction cumulative to actual soft cost land cost and construction loan so we're rolling right now
0: mm-hmm. okay so you you buy a lot for 5 to 10 and then how much is the the build out typically going to cost you
1: uh, depends on a, like a condo finish, but you can get it closer to two hundred and fifty dollars to three hundred dollars price per okay. foot. Yeah. That's all in. That's all in. Uh, and
0: that's what the nice finishes.
1: That's like the sexy shit. And then yeah. I have customers calling me like three hundred dollars a foot. Here's what's happening: the developer that's ca- charging you four hundred dollars a foot, he's charging you that extra money for his beautiful fucking
0: vacation, bro. <laughs> I just—it's funny you mentioned that because uh, we were actually on the the ride over here, and um, someone in. Um, uh, I'm in this exotic car club and uh, someone which one reached is out you? fast lane drive. Oh, okay. I'm also in I mean, a, which I, one are you in?
1: I'm in a, this is called exotic car club and uh-huh. wholesale car club. So, okay. I mean, what do you drive? Uh, I got a couple cars. I'd rather not share, you know, yeah, okay. <laughs> we, do, we do well. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, so someone reached out and uh, they're like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this like ADU build out or whatever. Um, do you mind taking a look at these proposals and which option would you go with? And one was like, option one was like build out a two uh, one unit, basically a two bedroom, two bath, 800 square feet or build out two one bedroom, one bath units, 400 square feet each. Um, and then I was looking at the costs, and then I was doing the math and the cost was like, four to four twenty-five a foot. Wow. And so I said, Hey, go with option two, cause right. you have two units. You'll, you'll create more equity. Uh, you also have higher overall rents, but I said, go get some more proposals cause that's pretty steep.
1: Yeah. So a lot of people yeah. don't, this is, the, this is how you can uh, get your feet in the game. Mm. And this is my advice to everybody that's like at home watching and like, how can I get into real estate or development or construction or multifamily? You know, the cost of the concrete and the cost of the rebar is primarily the same. In every single borough or state, I don't think it's actually higher in, in one place or the other. We're not talking about manufacturing stuff in Thailand or, or China or uh, or Turkey. We're talking about things that are here, done here, right? So you're buying concrete mix, Home Depot, or you're doing it from a local supplier or vendor. Whatever that concrete mix is, whatever that rebar is, you're looking at a 2 to 4% difference in mock-up in price. Now, labor, Right? We're not talking about union laborers because that's on different sites. That's different requirements. Mm-hmm. Most of the guys in my business, they're not using union guys. Anywhere between $250 and $350 a day for labor. And then it's, the rest is overhead mock-up. So the guy has a secretary. You as a consumer have to say, okay, I'm paying this individual X, Y, and Z because he needs to make a profit. He has insurance and overhead. Now, if you're evaluating his secretary an insurance policy and his profit to be, for example, X amount of dollars and it t- tails out four hundred dollars a foot, then pay four hundred dollars a foot. But I cannot justify that if I know the cost truly, genuinely, is mm. two twenty a foot sharp. Two twenty is sharp their cost. Okay, the guy's gotta make money, his time, he has errors, he eats the errors, no problem. Make your spread 20, 30%, make a healthy, make a healthy living, but let me make a living as well. So $250 a foot is condo Two seventy five is like super high end condo. You want to go into Manhattan? You could even do it below three hundred and fifteen dollars a foot. And this is, hold up, don't don't quote me on that. It depends if you're going to Fifth Avenue, and you're going to put these appliances that are wall hung and all these crazy stuff. You can go to five hundred dollars a foot, but everything that's happening in Brooklyn, regular things, washer dryer, Bosch, Mealy panelled fridge, panelled dishwasher, overhead uh, countertop. Waterfall backsplash, the same stone, five inch, six inch, seven inch white oak, select quality uh, tiles, floor, wall, ceiling, cove lights, niches, right, all those features that I just mentioned, including an elevator, Bluetooth audio, rain shower, right, so you can that audio is in the shower, it's anti water, and it has one in the kitchen. All of that can be done less than two seventy five a foot. Mm. So when people when I hear people saying like, contractor called me Richie, I know you got a lot of work, let's work. All right, how much you charge the price per square, price per square foot? It depends. Okay, that's already bothering me, but I say, okay, no problem. It depends. Let's say Brooklyn Bushwick style. He goes, yeah, it's about 350 a foot. I say, you know what? Yeah, send me an email. Thanks. All right, I'll call you later, man. And never call that guy back. No. You want to make $100 a foot on somebody that understands what they're doing, bro. Like, be a little bit more competitive. I'm not expecting him to say $220 a foot. Mm-hmm. By the way, I get that. Richie, $220 a foot, I do everything for you. I also don't want that. At $250 a foot, we're having a conversation. My contract will have everything detailed. Allowance for tiles, allowance for wood floors, allowance for appliances. These are all appliances. So tomorrow, uh, these are all allowances. So tomorrow, if I decide that I want to go from a three dollar tile to a four dollar tile, when the budget goes up, price per square foot, I did that.
0: Yeah, I know we allocated a three dollar tile. And you guys always have contingency baked in, right?
1: Yeah, but I know I tell the I tell every single contractor that's not your contingency. That's my contingency. Yep. and they see the ten percent, and whenever there's a change order, they always try to go. But you have contingency, but that's not your problem. Don't count that's my on you. yeah. That's yeah. on you, bro. If we sign a contract for five million dollars and you're coming to me with five point one and the hundred thousand dollars is a change order that I didn't anticipate and you didn't anticipate, now you are coming to me and saying, "Rich, you got contingency." How do you know if I didn't have any cost overruns on the soft cost? Mm-hmm. How do you know I'm not gonna have cost overruns like right now on the interest? I borrowed money at three point eight percent. the The rate is floating. It's at eleven percent, bro. Yeah. Every single month on that five million I'm paying fifty G's. When when I penciled in thirty, twenty thousand twenty thousand on ten months, you're looking at two million dollars, bro. Two hundred thousand dollars. That two hundred K is now five point one change order to five point three change order. Now you're completely depleting your profit and you mm-hmm. gotta be very careful about the contractors that are telling you if it's two fifty a foot, three fifty a foot, there's a there's an explanation to everything.
0: Yeah. Um and so typically, you know, these these build outs. What are you typically uh, spending in terms of all-in cost basis on a price per unit? So ballpark on a, on a price per unit. Can I answer that question on price per square foot? You can, but the reason I ask is because I'm curious. Like on average, like what are you? What are, what are these properties selling for on a price per unit basis?
1: Okay, so price per unit. These properties. I'm going to classify them so that people can fact check us. Mm-hmm. In certain areas of Bushwick, you don't want to go under the five hundred thousand dollar mark on a free market. On a rent stabilization, it could be closer to three hundred fifty thousand, and on a higher end, you can get at seven hundred fifty thousand price per unit. So, for example, a one bedroom can run you seven hundred k in Bushwick, and a two bedroom can run you a million dollars in Bushwick. Now, is that same factor applying for you in Park Slope? Is that same factor Columbia Red Hook waterfront? Is that uh, Sunset Park? Is that in Flatbush? There's so many areas of Brooklyn, but we're averaging on the sales side st- steadily about $1,000 a foot on the condo side. You're not going to build a yeah. condo
0: in Canarsie. Now, what about that 10-unit multifamily deal that if you go to sell it, I could typically pro- on a price per unit, how, how much are we talking?
1: You could probably get about $650,000 to $700,000 wow. per unit. Okay. I built it out six two-bedrooms and four one-bedrooms. Oh, the units are probably worth closer to 725 on the two side and then the one bedrooms are closer to the 615 620 thousand that's a fair analyzation that's not my numbers it's probably come mm-hmm. back from the bank
0: and on average what are the one bedrooms running for and what are the two bedroom apartments you running for
1: the one bedrooms on average are renting for three thousand dollars gross effective and I'm giving concessions to get about 2750 yeah the two bedrooms I'm getting approximately 3500 and goes as high as 4250 depending on the floor. Wow. So I have a, I have a, I got skyline views, downtown Manhattan, bro. Mm-hmm. It's seven. It, it, you literally looking and it's South facing, yeah. you got unobstructed view. It's the building is 75 feet tall. The elevator goes from the basement to the roof.
0: Mm. That's so, crazy,
1: man. Yeah. $18,000 a stop, bro. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, if there's a listener out there that, that is looking to get into developing um, in, in what you do, what's one piece of advice you would give them?
1: There are many variables of development. And the best advice I would give somebody is be tougher than the construction and development process that's approaching you because you will want to give up. And, you know, remember in school, you didn't know X, Y, and this equals B, and you didn't know how to spell and the grammar, and you had to prepare for SATs, and you had regents, and now you're in college. This is not that, bro. This is all of that and then applying that into real world. So you got to know the back end front between tax abatements. DOB has their own set of bureaucracies. The banks have their own set of bureaucracies. The engineers have their own style. You're dealing with somebody that's good. They're going to give you their attitude. You got to learn how to have people skills. Construction is a whole different animal. The guy can use a concrete mix that has 3,000 PSI and the plant can call for 5,000 PSI. Mm. Now, if it's your first time doing construction, you're not reading plans, and you see the guys drilling the, doing the concrete mix. You're like, okay, he's putting concrete. He just duped you on 2,000 PSI. Not only he duped you on the structural integrity, he duped you on the price. So you got to be extra sharp. You got to ask questions. You got to know what you're doing. And you can't give up because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. And and it's good mistakes as long as you can afford them. Mm. So the best advice is for the guys that are at home and they're just not sure about how to get started or they're not sure what to do with themselves, be sharp, be stronger than the actual process because you're going to fall a lot of times if you give up, this is not for you. Mm,
0: that's so good, dude. I appreciate you coming on the pod, man. Absolutely, I, uh, it's been a pleasure. And um, yeah, I've had a good time out here in New York, man. we were actually out in Brooklyn last night at the uh, the Celtics and, and Nets game. So when you were talking about Brooklyn and all the stuff you're developing out there, I, was, like, I got I got a lot it. of
1: good friends. Side note on the yeah. on those teams
0: yeah okay I like that They know they're I like watching
1: that. they they follow me if you guys I'm not gonna say who but if you go on my Instagram you just mm-hmm. go see who's following me you'll mm-hmm. find a couple of guys
0: I love that man we'll have to connect again man I'll definitely be back out here maybe later this winter and uh, I'd love to connect and maybe check out some of your projects man we're doing a part two let's do, let's do a part two and, and come out to San Diego sometime man absolutely man yeah. when I come out I come out no problem I appreciate you bro he's Richie Zav I'm Rich Summers listeners thanks for tuning in we'll see you in the next one peace